0: Um, I'm reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Get ready. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, And this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time, this time to gather this morning in your presence and with one another. And Father, we ask that as we reflect on the words of Scripture this morning, and as we are grateful, Lord, that you have uh, made these so readily available to us, that we would approach uh, your holy word with reverence and awe, knowing that this is um, another challenging word, but one that you want to speak to us through. As your Holy Spirit comes now, to minister to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring to life the Word of God this morning and to speak directly to our hearts, to pour out upon us the love of the Father, your grace, your mercy, and to shape us into the people who you want us to be. Lord, that we would find freedom from sin, that which seeks to destroy your good world, our relationships with one another, and our relationship with you. That we would find freedom from that in this life, knowing that we have promise of that in the next. Just open our hearts and minds, we pray, Lord Jesus, this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. So first of all, I want to thank you for engaging with last week's uh, sermon on um, sin and living transparently in gospel-shaped behavior, um, which uh, if you weren't here, it's another challenging passage, chapter 5. Um, it, was, it was so encouraging to hear um, about the deeper conversations that were happening as a result um, after the service, in marriages, people coming and sharing, oh, this is what I'm wrestling with. Um, I know for some of you, it has meant beginning to deal with addictions, um, even if maybe you just felt, uh, maybe I should open up about X, Y, Z. Um, even that that feeling, that's the beginning of a, of a significant spiritual battle, which is not easy, uh, but leads to freedom if we engage in it and allow God um, to lead. It, le- it leads to life if we deal with this stuff in our lives, and um, if you find yourself in a position where someone uh, needs your support, someone's come to you and, and says um, uh, they, they need your love but, and they also need a firm hand at times, need to be challenged, uh, need accountability, uh, it may be that you yourself need help with that, that. To be a help, to be support to others, that you go, I don't know if I've got this, what it takes to do this. And, and so it's important that you reach out as well. Our job isn't to be Jesus right? Our job is to be like Jesus, It's to be his disciples. Um, And um, if if you're, you you may be in helping someone else, someone who yourself needs practical guidance in that, that might be prayer support, that might be practical resources. Um, And um, around various issues, especially around sexuality, we have those resources. I can, either ones I have or ones we can dig out. So please uh, don't hesitate to reach out. If that's the position you're in, but thank you for engaging with this uh, as as we've jumped into some hard stuff. Um, in ch- at the end of chapter five, which is where we were last week, um, it was about judgment of one another's sin, condemnation of sin within the church, within the church, uh, the the people of God, so that uh, if there was if there's deception, like someone's living outside of you know what they living against God's will and, and actually think I'm, I'm a Christian but is deceived that they would have a chance to repent, or if they're living in a way they don't recognize is not in line with God's plan and it's hurting them and it's hurting others, that that can be pointed out and they can find freedom from that and find life in release and, and freedom from sin. Um, and so that's the calling it out within, but then not, it's also about not judging those outside um, so that we don't go to those who don't have the Spirit of God and say, um, and, and say, you need to live up to these moral standards in order to get to God, which they can't, and we can't, without Jesus, only through Jesus. So we don't want to put this step without giving the gospel that says we can't get to God on our own. So we, 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 can, we call out sin inside, but not outside. The eschatological perspective is what's important. What that means is, as a church, our future shapes our present. We have this promise of new life, of eternal life with Jesus in the new creation. And so this shapes then how we live now. It shapes how we how we seek to bring the kingdom of God to earth, but also that others would find eternal life in him, everlasting life. We seek to bring others into the family also. And so as the church, our future shapes our present. Uh, Gospel people, gospel-shaped people have an eternal perspective. Uh, Then in chapter 6, after all this in chapter 5, chapter 6 we've read today, Paul first turns to an example of of some in the church judging one another, calling out sin. But the, the point here is that it's not just call out sin within the church. How we do it is important. Because here, in chapter 6, they're going about it all wrong, like really wrong. Why, why is it going about in the wrong way? Well, it's the same reason. The motivation's still off. Because he's saying, if you guys have a dispute, why? Why would you go and publicly display this issue to non-Christians that, that you're absolutely no different from them, is what you're communicating if you do this? The church is to be a counter-cultural community. An alternate temple to the temples of this world. And, and verse 5 is the most biting sarcasm, is the way Pete Fee puts it in the whole letter. It is, pos- is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? You who think, remember I mean, we've been talking about how they think they're so wise and they have this wisdom. You're not even wise enough to, to do this. And he doesn't have to make the argument for his point here. He's like, this is plain and simple. This is just dumb that you're doing this. It's, and it's so frustrating for Paul. And, and it's another reminder to us just to, to consider this. Are we, are we considering our witness to a world that doesn't know the saving love and power of Jesus when it comes to matters in the church? There's a, there's a lens through which we should make our decisions uh, and, and handle our relationships and spend our money and confront our sins and anything we do. There's a lens and that lens is that we're here to be disciples of Jesus and those are to make disciples of Jesus, meaning that Jesus-shaped people are drawing others in that they may too be shaped and transformed into a new person like we've been. And so we, we get to ask ourselves constantly, is that our motivation? Is that the lens through which we're looking at things? But Paul's concern about issues among believers being aired publicly is not his only concern here. It's like, look, you have disputes, there's stuff going on, just don't do it publicly. It's pretty clear that, that someone has sinned against someone else. So it's not just like, well, Bob and Joe had a disagreement on the meaning of Exodus chapter 3, and, and you've taken that to a public court. Come on, guys, like, it's, it's not what it's about. It's like someone has been wronged. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated is what he says to the one who has been wronged. Because the response of believers is to forgive. And if there's not repentance, then go back to the advice of chapter 5 on the community, calling things out and dealing with the person internally. But then he says, he turns his attention to the one who is doing the wrong to another. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters and the implication is it, it, how are others going to see the church God's people as a counterculture as different and distinct from the world where God's spirit dwells if you're actually no different so he's, he's getting pretty firm here and then Paul lists some of the behaviors that are not appropriate. We don't know what the wrongdoing was, but maybe it's some, something to do with this. Uh, and when I, when I spoke about sin last week, that, that which destroys God's creation and relationships and our relationship with Him, um, I spoke about the fact that sin isn't what we define it to be um, because normal behavior all around us becomes assumed rather than challenged. We're just like a, a, a um, fish in water. The only reference point we have is the water. Don't know maybe there's something else in Corinth. Thanks, Rachel, for the book, uh, uh The Frog and the Fish. Great read. Um, our super cow guys are using it at the moment. Um, I might as well do the frog now. The frog is you know, the, the metaphor of the frog who's in the pot of boiling water, and if it's boiling at first, the frog will just jump out. But if you sl- the theory is, if you slowly turn the heat up, the frog will boil itself to death because it won't recognize that things are changing around it. Great analogy for the culture in which we're in, anyway. Um, Normal behavior all around us just becomes assumed rather than challenged. In Corinth, it's sin city, right? Like that's it's kind of the Las Vegas or whatever of the time. So the stuff that's creeping into the church, like the ongoing adultery and prostitution of various kinds, and there's some really off stuff, um, is to us in a nation founded on Christian values somewhat unfamiliar. It's like, well, that's that's, that's not. Quite where our world's at. However, what Corinth was like, and and this is what we need to look into today. What Corinth was like is both what our world is becoming and it's actually born of just fundamental human desire. What's in the human heart? That the Corinthians, the general Corinthian population, were not just somehow fundamentally different to us. Different kinds of human beings. They were, they were like us and what was going on was born of the same human heart that we have. When I, when I preached on um, sin last week and, and shared uh, on the issue of lust, it was simply because in my life there's other issues, whether it be drugs or, um, uh, or, or you know, huge issues with, with anger or whatever it might be, that are um, not the case for me. The primary thing and, and a primary thing has been dealing with that particular sin. But I didn't pinpoint that, particularly to deal with sexuality. However, there is something about sexuality and sexual desire, that no matter the cultural context, no matter the technology, no matter the views on marriage and sex and gender, this will always be a big issue for followers of Jesus. Not the only one, but will always be a significant one. Now, we've got a few weeks to deal with this because chapter 7 goes more into marriage and singleness. Um, and, and so don't, please don't go, oh, well, what about, we didn't address this, we didn't address this, we didn't unpack, the, unpack this. And chapter 6 is, was 20 in uh, 20 a bit verses. Um, we will have time to, to, to look more into some of this stuff. Um, but I want to start today with these two issues. This, um, our world is becoming more and more like that Corinthian context and the human heart is the issue. The human mind is the issue. Um, so, first of all, is our world becoming like Corinth? Um, if you've been here or haven't studied the book of Corinthians, there's, yeah, there's all sorts of sexual practices going on in Corinth. The sexually charged culture, assumptions about what men could normally get up to, which is we're just really away from God's plan for healthy sexuality. But is our world becoming like this? Well, in that book, The Frog and the Fish, that um, uh, our teenagers are having a look at at the moment, deals with all sorts of issues in our culture that teens have to be aware of. Um, In the chapter on sex and sexuality, um, the, the author gives some examples of things, real things in our culture, real examples of our culture. One, a billboard for a large online dating company, helping married people connect with other partners, saying, life is short, have an affair on a billboard. Another one, a magazine cover in a news agency with uh, a woman dressed in not much and separated at the waist with the question, which half do you prefer? And the the buyers encouraged to comment uh, on the magazine's Facebook page. you know, in a mainstream area. Um, as well, things in, in a mainstream magazine, the cover of a main not a, not a pornographic magazine, but just a main, new idea or, or, or Women's Day or something, with a story on the front cover about something I won't mention in church, which you, you, you would maybe expect in an adult magazine, but not just a mainstream one. Um, and, and, I mean, I could go on. I've got a heap of examples here. You know, t- top 20 music videos. We know what those are like, and kids have access to them. Um totally off, you know, T-shirts that mothers dress their, their newborn babies in with just sexually, it's just all this sort of stuff, um, some of which you would have seen. Um, we already live in a highly sexualized world. I don't have to, I, I think we can agree on that. Um, the issue, though, what, what's the issue with this? Because, okay, it's not, it's not in the church, at least, at least not much of it. But so what, what's the issue? Yes, the world's like this. The issue is that the wider the gap between the standards of the world and God's standards for God's people, the church, the wider the gap is, the more difficult it is not to compromise on that standard. Once upon a time when... The, the, the values and morals and ethics of Australia or a Western nation were basically built on the Judeo-Christian ethics and values and Christian principles. It was like, well, the world's kind of here and we're kind of here, so it's pretty hard to keep the standard. When it's like this and this, it's hard not to say, well... Is there really a big deal in just a little bit of compromise? Christians get branded as purists or bigots. We do our absolute best to, to be full of grace with new Christians. Um, and, and so it's difficult to also set the bar higher when they've come from over here. It's hard not to engage in what all, it's, it's hard enough not to engage in what all our friends are doing. Surely this little thing over here isn't going to hurt too much, this little compromise. And so we rewrite the rules. And say, well, maybe maybe it doesn't need to be to that extent so different to way the world is. Um, talked a little bit about yeast last week. A little yeast goes through the whole batch and does have an effect. A turning point for me when it came to the issue of sexuality and lust and the compromise in this area, a turning point for me many years ago um, was that I was in a, an accountability group with a bunch of men. Um, in, in that group, some of the guys just wanted to kick... Uh, the, some sort of porn or lust habit and they were going well and they just wanted to be accountable. Maybe they just actually really wanted to watch how their eyes were around women. Other uh, guys in the group had had deep issues, um, had had, a, had an affair, had, you know, deep in addiction and they were on the road to the recovery. So it was, it was mixed in this group. Um, one guy had been um, in and out of homosexual relationships and during the time that I was in the group, he met, began dating and then married a girl from a similar background and today they're happily married um, and in ministry. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. There was one guy in the group who, um, he, was, he was part of the group before I joined and after I left. Um, he'd been deep in sexual sin, um, was but was now a committed Christian. He now loved Jesus, was taking his purity really seriously. Was the ma- his marriage and family was healing, at number, about four daughters, I think. Um, and in, in fact, he was quite, a, quite an inspiration to the rest of us. He also was you know, kicking smoking habits and all, all sorts of things. Uh, a real inspiration. I, I left the group um, uh, eventually, and, and I kept in contact with the leader. And one day I was talking to him, I said, Oh, how's so-and-so going? That this guy who I was just talking about. And, and he said, the leader said, um, oh, he's, he's in jail now. He ordered a 16-year-old prostitute and the police picked him up. Now, how does that happen? Committed Christian guy, dealing with this, taking it seriously. How on earth does that happen? I'm, I'll tell you with absolute certainty, it didn't happen all of a sudden. He didn't wake up one day and go, well, my life's back on track. Maybe I'll just ruin it and ruin my family. Completely by doing this, it would have a little bit of a little. Maybe, maybe it's maybe I'm going so well. Maybe just a little bit, and, little, and then eventually, might have happened quite quickly. But it started with a little. Um, that that experience and that hearing that that's like shook me to my core. That scared me, and it's partly why I'm so serious nowadays about about having apps on all my devices that send reports to my wife of what I what websites I visit. Um, you might say, why, well, Luke, are you planning to look at something wrong? No, quite the opposite. I'm planning to not look at anything wrong. And so I take it dead seriously. Um, so, And I guess the question is, what about you? What Do you going kind of go, well, just a, a little bit of compromise here, a little bit here. Might not be a big deal. Or do you go, you know what, I, this is, this is uh, worth just completely cutting off and having setting that bar high. Maybe uh, sexuality issues are not your primary struggle. Maybe sexuality issues are, are not even a struggle. And it's like you know, there's other things. It's it's a it's a temper. It's um like I said the, mentioned the shopping thing, whatever it might be. Um. But this is actually a fundamental human struggle and issue, and a really big one. Sexual desire is is just a fundamental human reality. God has wired us this way. If it's not a big issue for you, it will be for either your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, or all of the above. And so, something really important for us to recognise. Um, some of you are probably get an email this week because the teens are going to do the sex topic next Sunday in Supercal. I really, really want to encourage you. Don't. We're going to make it opt-in, so if you don't feel comfortable, they don't have to be in that talk. I want to really encourage you. to to let them be part of that. Our leaders will handle it wisely and carefully. And our kids, our teens need to engage with this stuff because they are being exposed. They are dealing with it, whether you like it or not. Paul says this. He says, you say, I have the right to do anything. That's what the Corinthians say. I have the right to do anything. But Paul knows the heart of God. The heart of God is not, hey, just have fun. The heart of God is he wants the best for us. That's the heart of God. He wants the best for us. He wants us to experience this life as it's really meant to be. And he's not looking to be the fun police. So that's kind of, for some of us, it, the mental image of God. He just wants the rain of my parade. God just knows how he's designed us. And God wants us to enjoy what he put in us, the way it was designed to be enjoyed. But when the culture says this, and, and, and my... Over here, the cultures are, and my strong feelings and desires and like urges say say this as well. It's really difficult to believe that the standard over here is really good and pure and holy and wonderful and enjoyable. The bottom line is that God created sex to be enjoyed between one man and one woman within the covenant of marriage. We'll come back to marriage more next week. I said deals with it in chapter seven, but I'll I'll admit. I struggled to really believe this deep in my heart for a long time. I knew it. I agreed with it. This is what uh, sex is about in marriage, within marriage. I I taught that, believed that, everything. But in my heart and mind, what I was really thinking is, God, why make us so sexually driven at such a young age if you designed it for marriage alone? Come on. (laughs) Give us a break here. Part of me still struggles with that. But what I've found to be the best motivation for not just sexual purity, but any kind of temptation to sin—the best motivation for sexual purity and the most practical way to deal with sexual temptation or any temptation, sin issues—is what Paul says uh, right here in this chapter: the, the best motivation for purity and the most practical way. To deal with temptation, where Paul says the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, it sounds too simple. Um, But what I know to be true is that dealing with sin brings us into greater intimacy with God and pursuing God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, including how we use our bodies, leads to the destruction of sin in our life. Are you with me? So it, the best motivation to go, I want to leave sin behind, and the best thing to get away from it, practically speaking, is pursue God, run after Him. The body was meant for the Lord, to serve Him, to please Him, to chase after Him. right? And so this is the best thing we can do, is pursue God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to do that with our, the way we use our bodies. Do you know... And have you ever thought about why some people raise their hands in worship like this? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but why is it? Is it always because those people who do that just feel wonderful and holy and praise you, Jesus, and praise you, Jesus, I just praise you, I praise you? Sometimes, but I'm willing to bet, and I know this is the case for me, more often than not, it's not just because of a feeling and a wonderful joy. Sometimes it is, but more often than not... That's not the case. It's because in the battle between the flesh, the sinful nature, and the spirit, we fight in the opposite way to what you might expect. We fight through surrender. The Holy Spirit in us, this is the good news, friends, the Holy Spirit in us is infinitely more powerful than the sinful nature that we have. So, so why is it even a battle? Well, because we have to let the Holy Spirit be the one who takes control. And that happens through surrender. So, the battle is over before it's even begun, but only if we let the Spirit take control instead of our flesh in surrender. And this, Jesus loves me, this I know, you're right. Hands like, like this. This isn't surrender, this is surrender. That's the position of surrender. And it's not because you feel like it. It's because you know it's needed if the Spirit is to be in control of your life. And it's like, well, okay, that's fine. But why does the body matter? We, we learn, and Paul teaches over and over, Jesus, it's, it's all through the What we do with our bodies is intricately linked to what's happening in our heart and mind. That's why Paul talks about, you know, not just the body's meant for the Lord, but the Lord's meant for the body and talks about Jesus and resurrection. Don't have time to go into it, but the fact that we'll be raised uh, uh, at the, in, the, in the resurrection into physical bodies. We're not going to be spirits floating around in heaven, but real flesh and blood people. The body is important and what we do with it is as well. Finally, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Um, because sexual sin in particular is against your own body, which is made for God, to honor God. Paul says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Amazing image. And so our our experience of of union and intimacy and relationship with God is about what we actively do to say, Spirit of God, come in, speak to me, lead me. And it's about what we actively don't do that allows the flesh to take over again, the sinful nature to take over again and block out the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Honour God with your bodies is how the chapter finishes. Um, Flee from sexuality and honour God with your bodies. So what what is this saying? Freedom from sin, right? That that we would experience life in all its fullness. Not not be blocked from the the real love of God in our lives. Freedom from sin that we would experience deeper relationship with God, remove the effects of sin uh, on our relationships and our bodies and become people who are different, a temple of the Holy Spirit, alternative to the ways of the world that, that most people realize at some point these ways don't satisfy, right? This freedom from sin starts with fleeing, ruthlessly putting aside even the smallest compromises. Living uncomfortably transparent lives with one another, like I talked about last week. It starts with fleeing, but it won't be any good, the fleeing, if you don't have something or someone to flee to. So we need to run hard and run fast to Jesus. Not just flee from sexual immorality. We're to honour the Lord as well, to run to Him. So... Friends, sell the computer, sell the phone, sell the iPad and buy a dumb phone, an e-reader and a bunch of Christian books on Christian living or whatever it takes to go, I'm going to pursue Jesus. Dump the boyfriend and start a prayer meeting in the time you would have dated him. (laughs) Whatever it takes, cut down your hours, sell the house, go live in your parents' granny flight and with the time you've created, use it to serve your wife. Whatever it takes, in the the words of a song by Jimmy Needham, tell your friends that this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins. You can't be social. Then seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store and know that great is your reward. So just be hopeful. Take a break from all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him, please, to open up his mouth and speak. And pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Whatever flee looks like, whether it's sexual temptation or anything else, we must run to Jesus and his call upon your life. Because Jesus, God of the universe, who created all things, he is love. That's what it comes down to. We run to him because love, sought out in any other place, will always fail. He is love. Father, as we... Uh, worship this morning. And as we begin to not just sing, but hear uh, your promises and your words, your your love sung over us this morning. I pray you would begin to heal. I pray, Father, you would begin to uh, convict us of, us of sin, but not so that we would just feel guilty or and certainly not so that we would feel shame but so that we would bring it to you and allow us to see our sin crucified on the cross of Christ and then to see you Jesus embracing us com- with unconditional love Father we know we are we are broken people um, but the way to to experience relationship with you and relationship with each other as it was meant to be is not to avoid our sin but to bring it into the open father to bring it before you and to accept your unconditional grace your unconditional love completely